7. Luke 9, in verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying alone, with only the disciples near him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah. And still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Well, Peter, of course, answered, spoke up and said, The Messiah of God. Jesus sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world, but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. Anybody ever watch uh, the game show Family Feud? That's a silly question. Right? That's a popular game show. We're not going to get into the discussion about who the best host to ever host Family Feud was. <clears throat> Richard's awesome. <clears throat> but uh, but uh, there was a Family Feud question asked on a show once. And, and this was the question. And so we're going to play a little Family Feud game in a second. So this is going to be interactive. So get ready to participate. And the question... For, uh, for them and for all of us today is this. When someone mentions the king, to whom might they be speaking of? Ready, go. What's your answer? Elvis. 81 out of 100 people said Elvis Presley. All right, who else? Who may they be thinking of? The king. Anybody up here? God? Okay, we'll get to that one in a second. Richard Petty. That's a new one. I like that one. Any NASCAR fans in here? Richard Petty. He didn't make the list. He actually didn't make the list. I'm surprised that he didn't make the list. But the answers can vary, but this is how they varied on the game show that day. 80, or, or through the survey, the survey said uh, that was taken. 81 people said Elvis Presley. Seven people said God or Jesus. Three said Martin Luther King Jr. And two said Burger King. <laughs> Burger King got two more than Richard Petty did, apparently. <laughs> the answers are always going to be wide-ranging when we ask questions of, of, of a broad nature like this, but the answer can be particularly uh, ranging whenever the question can become uncomfortable. 
Jesus asked the disciples a very uncomfortable question that day. And it continues to be an uncomfortable question that we continue to be asked today. The question Jesus posed to the disciples was, Who do the people say that I am? But most importantly, who do you say that I am? And the question that we get asked every single day, whether or not it is through actions or through a literal question, we get asked every day, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's an uncomfortable one, and answers can range and vary. Many times in the New Testament, Jesus was referred to by many different names. He never referred to himself as the king. That was not who Jesus was. It was not his style. But oftentimes the rabbis, excuse me, oftentimes the disciples and other people who followed him would refer to him as rabbi, which means teacher, revered one, one to whom we can learn many things from. And, and to, to be called rabbi in this time was a huge, huge deal. To Jewish boys, to young Jewish boys, being accepted by a rabbi as a disciple represented the pinnacle of literary success. Imagine getting into uh, the, the best college possible and one of the professors taking you under their wing and saying, you are to stick with me throughout your career here, and at the end, your degree will be granted. That's what it meant for Jewish, young Jewish boys to be accepted by a rabbi. Jesus' disciples, as many of us are aware, they, they, they were common men. They, they were simple laborers. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were outcasts. And must have been very surprised whenever Jesus went up to each of them when he did and said, come and follow me. When a disciple followed a rabbi, they didn't just follow they followed very closely, very intently, wanting to soak up every possible moment of learning and of wisdom. In fact, they followed so closely that uh, Louis Verberg is noted in a, uh, in a literary production to have said that disciples were to be, quote, covered in the dust of their rabbi meaning that they were to follow so closely that when dust kicked up from the feet of the rabbi, it would have literally covered the cloak of the disciples behind. Jesus was the, the disciples' rabbi. So where Jesus journeyed, the disciples journeyed. Where Jesus ate, the disciples ate. Where Jesus slept, the disciples slept. They had witnessed him performing miracles and had experienced his power even working through them as they themselves performed acts that were extraordinary. Could you imagine being the disciples that passed out the bread and the fish at the feeding of the 5,000? Wow! 
Sometimes I wish my kitchen table was like that, but my stomach is glad it's not. <laughs> but you, could you imagine being beside Jesus or being the one helping Jesus whenever you just cannot explain the acts that you're seeing take place? Yet, despite that, the disciples were still accountable for making a decision for Jesus. Because Jesus asked which, every one of them, Who do you say that I am? And you know what? Tis true for all of us still today. We are all accountable for making a decision for Jesus. Every single day. So who do we say that Jesus is? You know, Peter's response is, is straight, direct, and to the point. He says, well, you're the Christ sent from God. Well, that's, that's the safe answer, right? Do, do we all agree that that, that, that is correct? He's the, the Christ sent from God. Regardless of how he may have reached that response, or regardless of whether we agree, or regardless however we would add to this response, Folks, much more is required than simply saying who we believe Jesus is. Responding effectively to this statement or to this question requires a lifelong commitment. It means acknowledging and fully embracing who Jesus was as a human and who he was as the divine God. Jesus is the best picture of the God that we want to follow. Someone say amen. Jesus is the best picture of the God that we want to follow. As a human, Jesus demonstrated that God is not an unconcerned, disembodied entity who is emotionally detached from our pain and our suffering. He went through it himself. But he's a God who chooses to enter even into that suffering with us. Jesus gives flesh and reality to a God who cares to a God who loves deeply, to a God that longs to win us at all costs necessary, even to the point of death, and even in that time, the most embarrassing point of death on a cross. That is how much God demonstrated to us how much we matter to God. There was a young girl um, who had been waiting for weeks for the circus to come to town. It had been advertised, and her, and her parents got tickets, and, and they, they went, and, and there were these three rings in this massive top tent, and there, one ring was going with the clowns, the other had the elephant rides, and still a third had some other attraction with the acrobats just floating back and forth. And she was cheering and screaming and excited, and all of a sudden she stopped and was just looking. And her dad looked down and said, What's wrong, sweetie? And she said, as she bust into tears, 
They did all of this for me. Think about it for a moment. Yes, God did all, and God continues to do all just for us. Someone say, wow. <laughs> wow. So right after asking this all-important question to the disciples, Jesus shared what must have been a difficult and seemingly impossible concept to the disciples at this time, and perhaps even to all of us now. He said, those who want to come after me must take up their cross. But here is the most important part of that whole section. He says, you must do so daily. Did you catch that? Did you ever, did you ever catch that in, that in that passage? The key word is daily. The decision to follow Jesus, sisters and brothers, is not a once-in-a-lifetime commitment. It's a choice we must be prepared to take up every single day. Note also that, that Jesus repeats here what he is constantly saying to the disciples. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Folks, follow is a verb. Whether we want to admit it or not, follow is a verb. Following means doing something about that choice that we have to make every single day about who Jesus is. When we confess that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, that means a commitment to follow Jesus in a lifestyle of sacrificial service, walking in the dust of our rabbi. Whatever our rabbi values, we value. Whatever our rabbi thinks about God, we think about God. Whatever Jesus, our rabbi, thinks about other people, we think about other people. Whatever our rabbi, Jesus, thinks about wealth, we think about wealth, about the poor, about creation, about to those whom society would say are outcasts. What our rabbi thinks and says is what we are called to think and to say. We act, we talk, we love, and we give our lives away, not for us and our sake, but for our rabbi's mission. This is what Jesus desired out of his disciples and this is what Jesus desires out of all of us today. Be willing to be covered in my dust because you are following me that closely. 
there was this child who started school on the first day of school for the first time ever, was so excited, woke up in the morning, was excited to go to school, gets to school, says, goodbye, Mom, I'm do this on my own, and it was just ready. Goes through the morning, they sit down for lunch as a class, they gets his lunch out, enjoys it, and at the end of it, he packs up his lunch, packs up his backpack, and heads to the door. And the teacher says, where are you going, young man? And he said, well, I'm ready to go home. My day's over. She said, no, you still got the rest of the afternoon. And he looked back at her and said, who signed me up for this program? Unfortunately, many of us start this journey with enthusiasm, but how often and how easy is it to fail to sustain that enthusiasm? Our faith, at times, goes on cruise control as we start seeking comfort and not the calling that this life is. Hello? It doesn't help that, that too often in our churches we pigeonhole Jesus safely behind altar rails and communion tables and paying religious traditions, teaching people to revere Jesus instead of following Jesus sacrificially every day in the trenches of life. Folks, listen to this. Jesus was never designed to be hidden behind this altar rail. Jesus was designed to be taken to the streets. That's the Jesus we serve. That's the radical that changed life forever with a renegade gospel that nobody saw coming and nobody knew what to do with. Jesus' call and mandate to the disciples that day and to all of us was never just to revere. His call was to take up your cross, deny yourself, and Follow me. When we do all this, the reverence will come. It will come naturally to revere and to respect and to fear God in a way that reverence causes us to do so. Listen to this quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He says, In a world where success is the measure and justification of all things, the figure of him who was sentenced and crucified remains a stranger. Here's the hard question for us today. How many of us proclaim Jesus with our mouths behind these altar rails, but when we get out there, we don't know who Jesus is? Somebody say, ouch. It happens to me very way more often than I want to admit. Perhaps it happens way more to each of us than we want to admit as well. <laughs> and that's not a judgment, that's a reality check. <laughs> we struggle to follow Jesus in part because our culture is saturated in a secular worldview. In this worldview, we operate as if God were not a factor. Jesus sometimes becomes a Sunday morning habit, and the rest of the week we seem to get along just fine without Him. You know, unfortunately, this world is also very materialistic. 
we draw our security from things like money and possessions rather than from the promises of God. How often do we claim to believe in God and we confess Jesus but act instead on the values of our culture as opposed to the values of Jesus? Nobody ever said this sermon was going to be easy today. Who do you say that I am? Even more importantly, who do your actions say that I am? Sisters and brothers, if we are going to follow Jesus as Messiah, then we have to radically realign our priorities. And they must be aligned in the way that our rabbi aligned his. Listen to Luke chapter 14, 16 through 24. Luke 14, 16 through 24. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must now go out and see to it. Please accept my regrets. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, well, I've just been married and therefore, for reasons left untold, I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to the slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Hello? Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner. Jesus is telling a parable here of a man hosting a dinner party, sends out invitations, and one by one, they come back with the excuses of why they cannot come. One says he just bought a farm and needs to tend to it. Another says, well, I just bought oxen and I need to see that they are working well. Another says, well, we just got married, so I need to go and tend to my marital affairs. Notice this, though. The three excuses given are the same excuses that we give even today when we choose to revere Jesus instead of following Him. Our material property, our work, and our relationships. How often are those same three excuses, the excuses that we give, these convenient excuses betray our real allegiances and show that we at times relegate Jesus to someone we worship at church only once a week and then we leave him behind the altar rails. What happened 
to the practice of following Jesus sacrificially? What happened to the practice of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, no matter how heavy and inconvenient it might be, and following Jesus every single day? Each of us at some point will have to answer Jesus' question directly to God. Who do you say that I am? Who did you say that I am? And the question that we often forget that goes along with this, what are you doing about who you say that I am? The question is, are we living the answer that we give? You know, one of the church's most ancient creeds, in fact, one that we use every Sunday, just about every Sunday, we did today, the Apostles' Creed. We've done a whole study on the foundations and the claims found in that creed here before. But those foundations uh, lay the groundwork from which we can begin to answer this question for ourselves. If ever you need a place to start answering the question, who do we say that Jesus is? Go back to the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living, the quick, and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic, the universal church, the church of the people who are sitting here and standing out there. I believe in the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. How are we living out what we are proclaiming? We believe every single day. And are we willing to stake our life on that proclamation? No doubt. There are those who are doing that every day. Who are sitting in this room. So then my question to you is this. How are you teaching the next generation how to do the same? How are we doing that together? And how are we modeling the rabbi? How are we modeling being covered in the dust of our rabbi for the generation coming up behind us? Because the work is never done. <laughs> it goes on and on. Fortunately, the sermon will not go on and on. Someone say amen. Because this is the gospel message. Be clothed in the dust of your rabbi this week. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.